Good morning, church. My name is Jason Windsor. I'm one of the student pastors here at the Mount. I want to welcome those of you that are joining us online and those of you that are here at the Stafford campus. And I want to say Merry Christmas. Yes, we celebrate Christmas for a variety of good reasons. Uh, For those of you that may be joining us the first time or those of you that are crafty veterans, you know we're kind of a big family. And in a big family, it's easy to remain anonymous or kind of get lost in the shuffle, and we don't want that to be the case. Immediately following the sermon, some wonderful men and women from the prayer team come up to those double doors. They come up here, and they would love to pray with you. They would love to answer any questions that you have about the sermon. They would just love to introduce you into this little crazy thing that we call the Mount family. So if you need a foothold or a step into this family, that is your best place to get it. So immediately following the sermon, you guys can come on up and meet with some of those fine young men and women. Now, full disclosure, it is December 12th, so I understand all of you came expecting a Christmas message. You you got to. You're like contractually obligated, right? If you're a pastor and you don't give a Christmas message in December, they come, they take away your little pastor's badge and you live in shame for the rest of your life. Uh, we're going to get there, but we're going to not start in a very Christmassy place, which is why I wore my green shirt, because we're starting with Christmas, because I wore a green shirt. So just while you're upset that I didn't dive right into Christmas, just look at the green shirt and be happy. Uh, and we're going to start with David, but really we're not going to start with David. Really, we're going to pray it up, because let's be honest, if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, we're doing all this for nothing. So let's pray with me before we begin. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for being a good God. We thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for giving us your son. Uh, We thank you that we can gather together and we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit and by the reading of the scriptures that we would come to know you better and most importantly, we would come to know you more accurately, that we can worship the one true God. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, so we're going to start off in 2 Samuel chapter 24, and then we'll end up in Luke 1 for some Christmas, but we're going to start with David, and we're going to start with David in not a great place in his life. We're going to start with him having disobeyed God. You see, he wanted to take this big census. He wanted to count his fighting men. God didn't want him to do it. Uh, His advisors came and were like, hey, man, don't do this. Let's not do this. This is against God's will, but David in his pride said, oh, no, 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 no. We're gonna do this. And he spent the resources and he spent the nine months and after it's all done, this is where we find David. David was conscience stricken after he had counted the fighting men and he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant for I have done a very foolish thing. All of us can identify with this. All of us have done a very foolish thing and then gone, oh man, that was a very foolish thing. I wish I had not done that. And all of us learned the hard way, that's not how it works. You don't get to go back in time to change it. Once a thing is done, it's done, and now we have to deal with what's done. So before David got up the next morning, the word of the Lord came to Gad the prophet, David Seer. He said, go tell David, this is what the Lord says. I am giving you three options. Choose one of them, for me to carry out against you. I love that scripture because every parent has done this. You messed up. So I'm gonna give you some punishments to choose from. It's like a bonus punishment, right? Like pick your own punishment. I love it. I love it when the Bible gets real and practical. So Gad went to David and said to him, 
Shall there come on you three years of famine in your land, or three months of fleeing from your enemies while they pursue you, or three days of plague in your land? Now then, think it over and decide how I should answer the one who sent me. He says, okay, David, here's your options. You can have three years of no food. You can have a plague, or you can have your enemies chase you around. Which one do you choose? Now, as a young man, I bristled at all this. As a young man, I did not like that David committed the crime and his people are about to suffer for what he did. I thought that was unfair. I was like, why wouldn't God just punish David? But as I got older, I, I understood that's not how that works. When leaders make bad decisions, everyone suffers. When teachers make bad decisions, classroom suffers. When parents make bad decisions, homes suffer. When politicians make bad decisions, nations suffer. That is the burden of leadership that David had. And so when he made his bad decision, he knew he was putting his people at risk because when leaders make poor decisions, people suffer. So I came to terms with that. But I really didn't like as a young man reading, the, I didn't like any of these choices. Sickness, not a big fan. Enemies running around the land, taking and killing, doing whatever they want, really not a big fan. No food, you guys can tell, I'm not a big fan of no food, right? These are not good options, but as I walked through, I put myself in David's position. I kind of ruled him out one by one. I said, man, God is really powerful and God is really angry at David. So I don't want the plague, because that's kind of coming from God. But I also, I'm not crazy about my enemies running around my nation, chasing me around and killing whoever they want. So I ruled that one out as well and I rationed. I was like, hey, I think we could make this famine thing work because we don't have any food, but I can trade with other nations. There's some things I can do. So I would choose famine. David didn't agree with my choice. He says to Gad, I am in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord for his mercy is great, but do not let me fall into human hands. David had correctly perceived the best of the three options. He says, my God loves me. He says, my God is kind. I am going to run to my God. I am going to run to this plague because I want to rely on God's mercies, not the mercies of neighboring nations and not the mercies of my enemies. Where I ran from an angry, powerful God, David ran to a merciful, loving God because I had misconceptions about who God is, and our misconceptions about who God is will directly affect our relationship with him. Where David knew exactly what to do, and he was right. If you read on in this passage, the plague comes, but the Lord, before the plague would have finished, withdraws before it hits Jerusalem. He was 100% correct to trust in the mercy of God over the mercy of men, because he knew God and I knew things about God, and that is a really big difference. And here's where we find the Christmas in this, because Christmas is an invitation to know the one true God. Christmas is Emmanuel, God with us, this big, eternal being, which it makes no sense to ask where he begins or ends. It's indescribable, his power and what he knows and what he does. This big God, perfect in heaven, not needing us, us needing him, coming down and following the rules. 
and being born as a child in backwater Palestine. Why? To show us there's no lengths that I will go, that I will not go to know you. There's no bridge that I will not cross. I will come down here and find common ground with you. Because you realize that's the only way we're getting common ground with God, right? We're not going up there and saying, hey, God, we're here. We're going to behave like you now. That's not how that works. To get common ground with God, he's got to come down here. And that's what Christmas is. It's an invitation to put aside our misconceptions to put aside what we may have been picked up or may have taught about who God is and know the one true God because what your perception of God is matters. And there's no better example of that than Jesus' mom, Mary. So we dig into Luke 1. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. So we find Mary, Jesus' mother, probably in her family's home, probably about 13 or 14, waiting for her husband to come get her. He's got to finish building his addition onto his parents' house where he'll come get his wife and then they'll go back to this uh, home that he's prepared and there'll be a big feast and lots of partying and then they will be officially together forever. This is a bright future for a 13, 14 year old girl in first century Palestine. She has secured a husband, now she can have children and she has procured a future. Her future is bright, this is what first century Palestine teenagers aspired to. And here comes this angel and says, hey, you who are highly favored. And as it happens, whenever angels appear, Mary's response is very appropriate. She was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. This always happens when angels show up, by the way. The person meeting the angel like sometimes literally falls on the ground and the angel has to say, get up. Because it is a very significant thing to meet a powerful celestial being. The next thing the angel almost always says is, don't be afraid. Why? I gotta imagine that's pretty scary. Right? You're sitting there, your future's secured. The angel Gabriel shows up and says, hey, highly favored one. This is a good thing. She goes, oh, And the angel says, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus and he will be great. And he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and who will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end. He says, you, you're highly favored and I have big news. You know that Messiah that you guys have waited generations for? You know that Messiah that you guys have waited thousands of years that's gonna deliver Israel? You're gonna be his mom. This is big news, Mary, and she would have known that because she would have understood what it meant to be son of the most high on David's throne, ruling Jacob forever. She would have understand that this was the deliverer and she would have understood the impact and the great weight of this news. 
you are going to be the Messiah's mom. And I think she has a very appropriate question that follows. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? She says, hey, I know how this childbirth thing works and I lack the prerequisite. So can you explain to me how this is going to work. I'm not going to explain to you how that works. You guys can do that amongst yourselves after service. But the angel is going to give Mary an answer to her question. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her own age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Spells it out. The power of God is going to make this happen. And if you need an example, look to your relative Elizabeth. She's been barren. She's been unable to have kids. Guess what? She's pregnant. Why is she pregnant? Because whatever God says is going to happen, happens. 100% success rate. So you can take this, Mary. You can trust this. And to me, this is the second most important verse that I will share with you this morning. She says, I am the Lord's servant, May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. I think in that response, we see that this was an invitation. We see that Mary at a crossroads could have chosen her well-curated first Palestine future or she can choose to be the mother of the Messiah. And she accepts God's invitation. And this is where most of the preaching on Mary happens. She accepts God's invitation at great sacrifice. And I'm not minimizing her sacrifice. She could potentially lose her husband, which in that culture was a really big deal. She's not going to have probably any more kids after this because she's an unwed teenage mother in first century Palestine. Her reputation in the community is destroyed. What community? She will have no community after this. And she's potentially risking her life. And a lot of the preaching heaps on that and highlights that and points that out. But that's not the way that Mary lived her life. Not once did I see any bitterness in reading this or any fear or any anger or any begrudging like, oh, God has asked me to do this thing and since he's God, I'd probably better do it. But I really would like to do the other things that I had planned for myself. Never do I ever see Mary ever look back and lament what she has lost. In fact, I see the opposite. I see Mary look at what she's been called to with joy and passion and excitement. If we pick up in 39, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you bear. But why am I so favored? Why should the mother of my Lord come to me? As soon as the sound of the greeting reached your ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Blessed are you who will be the Messiah's mom. Not, ah, Mary, what are you going to do? Joseph's probably not going to marry you anymore. Oh, man, you're a teenage mom now. Let's lament over what you've lost. Let's be sad for what you've sacrificed. None of that is there. 
She says, who am I that you would come visit me, you favored one of God? How blessed are you that you accepted his invitation and believed that what he said was happened. Mary, you are a blessed woman. You have been called from something lesser into something greater. Good on you for taking what was greater. And Mary is moved with joy at this because she sings. Sometimes you guys know speaking just ain't gonna cut it. Sometimes you gotta sing. Sometimes that's the only response to awe and goodness and amazingness. Words fail, song lifts, but I'm not gonna sing you Mary's song. I'm going to read it and you could put a beautiful tune to it in your head. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, I will, all generations will call me blessed. That doesn't sound like someone who's in regret. That doesn't sound like someone who's looking backwards. All generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. She says he's done great things for her. She's be- he's bestowed honor on her. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors." I see no bitterness in there. I see someone who praises God for giving such a great honor, and then I see someone who just goes off on praising God for his greatness and his mercy and his love and his just reward. Like, she's just going nuts because she's so happy that this honor has been bestowed on her. And so she leaves because it's time for Elizabeth to give birth, and as you know, most of you anyway, there's a call for a census, So Joseph and his pregnant wife traveled to Bethlehem where ultimately Jesus is born. And he's born in a manger without a whole lot of fanfare, we think, but I think there was a whole lot of fanfare. Like literally a host of angels appear to shepherds and they sing again and they tell him where to find Jesus and they go worship Jesus. And so here's this scene of them not having a room to stay but having shepherds come and worship the newborn king. And after he's born, it's time for the purification rites because Jewish law required this purification rite. So they go to the temple and they meet a man named Simeon. And the Bible says that Simeon was a very devout, righteous man. And the Bible says that God told Simeon that he would not die before he saw the Messiah. And when they enter the temple, Simeon goes and takes the child from Mary's arms And this is what he says. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentile and the glory of your people Israel. He says, I can die now because I'm holding salvation in my arms. And he says, not just for Israel, this salvation is for everyone who has ever lived. And as he gives the baby back to Mary, he gives her maybe another tidbit that gives her a glimpse into her future 
when he says, your soul will be pierced. This man knew everything that was gonna happen. And they met another person at the temple, a prophet named Anna. She's very old, she was 84 years old, and all she did all day was worship and pray and fast. And when she saw the baby, she walked up and told anyone that would listen, this is the redemption of Israel. This is the coming Savior. The wait is over. And so I want to read you now what I consider to be a treasure verse buried in Luke chapter 2. I want to read you Luke chapter 2 verse 19 where it says, But Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. Does that sound like someone who's bitter over what was left behind? She treasured all of these moments and she pondered these moments in her heart. She's not thinking of the husband she could have lost. She's not thinking of the reputation she could have had. She's not thinking of the future she's missing out on. She's not thinking about what she was called from. She only has eyes for what she was called to. And she treasures interactions with Simeon. And she treasures the interactions with Anna. And she treasures, I walked you through angels coming up. I walked you through shepherds. We walked through the temple. We walked to Bethlehem. We walked through all of those things just to get the power of that verse. How many of us would treasure a pregnant walk on foot to Bethlehem? That silence tells me all I need to know. That wouldn't be something, but Mary's looking at her calling. And she's looking at what she's been called to. And she's looking at who she's been called by. And she's treasuring what God has given her in her heart. This is an amazing woman. And this teaches us the invitation portion of Christmas. Because you and I also have a calling. You and I also have a calling given to us by God. And Christmas is an invitation to see the greatest good that has ever existed, to see the most merciful being that has ever existed, to see the most powerful being that has ever existed, and worship him as he is. Why was Mary able to never look back? Because she literally saw the treasure that was in her hand. Never once I can imagine her looking at that baby and seeing a future without that baby. Can we see the same thing? Can we look at the baby in the manger? Can we look at the Christ on the cross and not see a future for ourselves without that? I believe Mary treasured up the things in her heart and she used them to raise the Messiah. And she was ultimately there at his death when other people scattered. Why? Because she's still his mama. Where else is she gonna go? She treasured those things in her heart. And she used that to stand with her son in, her, in his darkest moment because she loved him with a passion. I understand that when we make sacrifices, because to choose Jesus is to unchoose other things. 
When you go out that parking lot, you will either make a right or a left. You will not get to choose both. Choosing one means not choosing the other. And when you choose Jesus, it means you don't choose some other things. It means some occupations get put on the altar. It means some relationships get put on the altar. It means some behaviors get put on the altar. And the reason we will be able to be like Mary and not look back at what we've lost is because we truly understand what it is that we have gained when we know our Lord and Savior. What God, what God is calling you to will always be better than what he is calling you from. Because what he is calling you to will always be him. And he will always be better than whatever he asks us to leave behind. I did not say easier. I did not say easier. I did not promise you a fatter bank account. I promised you that when you answer the call, you get what's best. Anything we substitute that, I know you're supposed to have a clean house. I know that you're supposed to be good at things. But if all you ever have is a clean house and are really, really good at your job, when Jesus Christ shows up, you're gonna understand you missed out on the better end of the deal. Mary knew this. Mary saw Jesus as the greatest good that ever existed. And that realization prompted her to embrace him and to live a life full of her calling and full of the Holy Spirit, never once regretting the future that she had planned for herself. And that's my prayer for us this morning, that our eyes and our hearts may be enlightened to who Jesus really is. Emmanuel, God with us, leave heaven come here to find common ground with us because it will be our intimate knowledge of God through study of the scriptures and through interactions that surface him that keep us tethered to our great big purpose and not mistakenly looking back to what we think we've lost let's pray Heavenly Father we thank you for being a good God we thank you for loving us even when we don't love you we thank you for being patient with us as we learn who you are Lord, I ask that for everyone, we would have the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we could know the one true God. For those who don't know you yet, that they would come to see who you really are. And for those that do know you, that we would come to see who you really are. That we cannot worship a God of our own creation, but we can worship the God of the universe. And that intimacy and that relationship would carry us to you and away from whatever we think it is that could possibly ever measure up to you. We ask these things in your son's name and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.